and I got that happiness. I picked up that happiness in my hand and I've had it ever since. Diversity and inclusion can be touchy. It can be overcomplicated and sometimes very nuanced and hard to get to grips with. And that is everything we hope this podcast won't be. Welcome to the Digest from Diversely, where we take a frank, direct look at the stories of global allies, activists, and advocates of DI, understanding their journey and their motivations to make the world a more diverse and inclusive place to be, as well as all the ways in which they're currently doing just that. My name's Helen Maguire, and I've been active in the DNI space for many years. I'm the co-founder of Diversity, which is a tech platform that helps businesses achieve better diversity. And I can't promise we'll get everything right or cover every angle on this podcast. But what I can promise is that we'll learn together ways to make better approaches to this sometimes tricky and deep topic. In this episode of The Digest, I spoke to Joanne Monk, OBE, who is now the Director of Global Education and Equality, Diversity and Inclusion for Believe Global, CIC uh, and the Believe Foundation. I loved how open Joanne is about her journey because Joanne was actually born as David and lived as a male for 58 years. Since her transition, she's transformed her life and was recently acknowledged as one of only two people to ever win an OBE for services to the transgender community. She's an absolute inspiration. So let's get started. Joanne, hello. How are you? And and where are you right now? You're not in San Francisco. No, no, no. The the, the (laughs) picture at the back sort of um, hides the fact that I'm actually in um, Brighton in West Sussex in the UK. Um, it's an absolute privilege to um, be be talking about my journey and and DNI, and um, thank you very much for that amazing introduction. Oh, you're most welcome. You've got, you've got a lot to live up to now. <laughs> so, so let's let's get started because um, you know I I know that uh, you wear many hats currently, but that has not always been the case. Um, and indeed, as I look at you now, you know, um, obviously this is a, a recording and people can't see you, but, you know, you have lovely long hair, you've got your lipstick on, um, you've got a beautiful turquoise polo neck on. Um, but this isn't always how how you've, you've looked to the outside world, at least. So can you give us a glimpse into your, your background as David? Yeah, wow. Um... So yes, I've I've um, over the last few years I've become very successful um, as a legally um, as a legal legally identified woman, um, but that wasn't always the case. Um, my previous name, as you already mentioned, was David, and I was born in nineteen fifty five. And I always talk about my story um, with the same sort of concept, um, because when David was born, an imaginary tree was planted. And over the years, that tree would grow and its trunk, its branches would shape David's characteristics, his strengths, his personality but the roots of that tree were never his. They always belonged to Joanne, who over the coming years would flood him with her thoughts, her emotions, her desires, until 
he released her from effectively the prison that she was trapped in. Um, David knew that there was something different from about the age of five. He wasn't sure what it was. Um, his mother had a, a dressing up box and he used to love putting on the clothes that, that she, she'd left in them. Most of his friends were girls and he didn't enjoy um, the sort of things that boys did, football, climbing trees, getting really dirty. He'd much rather um, do, do the things that other girls did. He, he was quite happy um, sort of playing with dolls and doing more feminine games. Mm. Um, the early years, I suppose, were reasonably happy. He never understood why he felt different because, of course, in those days, the word transgender wasn't even in the dictionary. Yeah. Um, and he could never have gone to his parents and said, said, look, I, I want to be a girl. It, it just wouldn't have happened. Um, he was very good at running uh, in his primary school, in his early primary school years. He could run like the wind. But, but looking back on it, um, I wonder whether he was actually running away from something, which yeah. is why he was so fast. Um, as school years went on and he attended senior school, he was bullied constantly. Um, and that, in a way, totally interrupted his education. He was perceived by other boys in a, an all-boys grammar school that he was different. Mm. And he was picked on constantly and it didn't help with having two moves of school either because of um, his father's um, job changes. So education, he didn't excel. Yeah. He, he got O levels, he got one A level and he, he didn't really know what he wanted out of life. Um, he was dressing all the time. And by the time he was 17, 18, he was actually sneakily um, taking clothes out of his mother's wardrobe and putting them on. And until one day his father caught him and he was so severely reprimanded for it and I can picture it now I can picture where it happened I can picture what my father said and it was it was very difficult times but of course David was having to validate his life as a male all the time so he was constantly fighting what essentially was a virus inside him and I know we've had this pandemic and um but, but this, this was different. This was something that he would never, ever think he could cure. And it was only eventually um, understanding that enabled him to progress and, and release Joanne. Um, he had girlfriends, but 
he had girlfriends more because he wanted to be like them rather than <sighs> love it, it, it love them it was it was very difficult um he suffered with mental health problems mm. he had a nervous breakdown when he was 22 he was buying clothes then for himself when he'd left home and he worked on a farm because that was really all he was qualified to do mm. um, but his way of trying to fight Joanne and and he had a feeling then that that he that he should really really be female but he just couldn't let go of of the life that he was given which obviously was male so he'd buy the clothes he'd dress in private and then he'd think well wonder if I can cure this by burning the clothes, by purging. <laughs> and he did that. But, of course, the problem was then that Joanne was so strong inside him that all these feelings of wanting to be a woman just came straight back, but they came back tenfold. And that went on right the way through until he was 58. Um, he got and, and, married and in that in that time yeah I was I was gonna say you you did uh David sorry did get married um yes. and and you know you 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 have a family you know you have um yes. uh, twin boys as, as you were you were telling me what was yes. that experience like well I I David got married because it was what was expected of him he was actually married twice. His first wife caught him dressing and put a, put a knife to him. Um, but And so the marriage finished. So he, he met somebody else. Um, did he love them? It, it's very difficult. I think mm. in a way, yes. But it wasn't love like, in inverted commas, a normal couple would experience. Um you, you're right twin twin boys so so i have twin boys one's in new zealand one lives locally to me and i suppose in many ways i was i was still dressing of course and and mm. dressing in secretly and i stayed in that marriage out of a sense of guilt towards my wife mm but out of unconditional love for my two boys. But and and I mean, I, I feel, you know, hear, hearing, hearing you talk now about your past life, and it is interesting that you speak about David um, in the third person and, and not as, as yourself, but it's incredibly suffocating, actually, even to listen to um, and, and very, very heartbreaking for you know, everything that, that David had to go through. What was the turning point? When did, when did David decide enough is enough? Well, I, th that point was reached. Um, David's wife died in the year 2000. And at that point, he thought he could be free and, and get on with his life as he wanted. But it took another 14 years 
of doing everything that he could to be macho, uh, but still dressing. And one day he got to the point where he was struggling so much with things. He went and sat on the edge of a well-known beauty spot and contemplated suicide because he didn't know what to do. Uh, he didn't jump, but that was a pivotal point in David's life because what happened after that was essentially that essentially David died and it was strange because he lay down and it was as if somebody had come up and undone a zip along the entire length of his body and out came Joanne free free from the the prison that she'd been trapped in for 58 years and that point was the most amazing thing that could happen the tree that had been planted at David's birth was cut down but it wasn't cut down completely and Joanne started to grow her own trunk her own branches and develop and form her own life and what, what did that look like on a daily basis? So from that day where, where David ceased to exist to the following day, what did, what, what did Joanne do differently? Well, I, I, ident I identified as, as a woman, as Joanne, every day. So yeah. all, all David's clothes went. Um, the clothes that I started to buy, I looked at, I, I looked at how other women of my age dressed. Um, I started to grow my hair. Uh, mm. I, changed, I actually changed my name by deed poll and took the name Joanne in legacy of my mother who died five days after the twins were born. Oh, wow. And her name was Anne Josephine, but nobody ever called her Anne. They used to call her Joe for sh short for yeah. Josephine. And it just seemed natural to take the word Joanne. Yeah. Um, so there was a deed poll certificate issued, which was legally recognizing my name. Um, I went on to hormone therapy through. Um, my GP, who was very understanding and very compassionate to what I needed, and eventually had gender surgery in 2017. Um, and everybody really accepted me. I didn't have any problems. Even my father, when I told my father, who since passed away, he said, I understand, but you'll always be my son and I'll never mm. call you Joanne, which was mm. fair enough. But I think mm. he understood because I think he knew. Mm. And I did find out in later years from my stepmother that mum and dad always wanted a girl, which was very interesting to find kind out. Kind of ironic. Kind of ironic, yeah. But <laughs> telling my boys they 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 welcomed it, all my friends, 
Yes, yeah, I, I love I love this story, and I, I think I think we spoke very briefly about this previously um, about your twin boys. Certainly, the one that's local to you. Can you yeah. can you tell us what what um, you know how that went really after your surgery and um, around that well, point? Yeah, obviously it's major surgery. Uh, I had to take time off work, so I was uh, resting at home. And one day he just turned up at the front door came in just to really to see how I was and then totally out of the blue he said is it okay if I call you mum now and the tears um, of happiness I was so emotional but that was true affirmation of Mm. my authenticity as a woman and and it was absolutely amazing. It was so powerful what he said. Mm. Oh, absolutely. I, I, I can completely relate to that. And as you say, it's just that 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 affirmation of, of really everything that you've, well, David and, and you have gone through. But I, yeah, yeah. But I took, you know, I, I know I say David died. I know I said there was bereavement there was bereavement because David had to die in order to let Joanne live but I did take some of David's characteristics with me so David was always very caring um, and that was one of the key things that I took from him. I was going to say what you know do you feel do you feel that Joanne would have benefited from having been Joanne or you would have benefited from having been Joanne from a a younger age or do you feel that Joanne has benefited from David's 58 years of experience you know I've been asked that question so many times um in a way I have massive regrets for not being able to have this acceptance uh, earlier in life But having said that, would things have turned out for me the way they have now Mm. had I gone through this 20, 30 years ago? Maybe not. You just don't know. And I I think it's, it's all about embracing life. And, you know, I spent 58 years as male and I'm spending the rest of my life as a woman and it was my destiny or it was always meant to happen it was just the point at which it did and and I can't I can't go back and say oh I want to start all over again um it's it's the way it worked out and I'm so happy that that it did because I have essentially lived two lives I was going to ask this question in terms of you know, obviously your life has changed on a very practical level on a day-to-day basis. Um, but how how are you treated differently? Do you have any perception or insight into that? I don't think I'm treated differently. Um, I'm respected as a woman. There is mm. absolutely no question of that. Um Am I treated differently to what I would have been as David is an interesting question. Um, 
I think people are more compassionate and understanding with me. Um, I know men have held doors open for me and, and, you know, it's, it's, it's quite an amazing experience. But the other thing about it is I've never really had any discrimination, mm. partly, partly because uh, the UK is fairly cosmopolitan and, and, and mm. diversely accepting, particularly the city that I live in. I was going to um, say, you're in Brighton, aren't you? So, um, yeah, yes, I guess yeah, you benefit yeah. from that somewhat. Yes, yeah. Uh, you know, there are pockets of the country where maybe I would, would have had a bit of negativity, um, but nothing to speak of. And I think the reason for that is because I've, always since I started my transition being very open about my life I've been happy to talk to people I've been happy to explain how I felt as a male and how I feel now as a woman and getting that understanding across to people creates allyship it just emphasizes in many ways how important it is to educate people. And I've done that from the word go. Yeah. And and that brings us up to date, really. I mean, you speak so fluently and passionately and openly about your experience um, that it's it, it's hard not to have empathy and understanding and, and, and feel how you must have felt or David must have felt during those years and the relief now um, and the sort of joy around where you are at the moment. And it's really taken a massive turn of events for you. I mean, you know, I think we hinted at the very beginning, the fact of your OBE, it's not the only award um, that you've that you've won, if one is the right word. Um, and, and tell us a little bit about how your role has become so much more public now. You wear so many different hats. Well, I think it's become very public um, because of my willingness to share my story. Um, and, and that resulted in I do a lot of advisory work for uh, Sussex Police, the county where I live. I do work advisory work for the Crown Prosecution Service um, and I've really been a, a mentor for the transgender community. And was, um, was that intentional? Was that something that you felt compelled to, to do? Did it come up, uh, you know, through connections? How, how did that all come about? Well, it, it was intentional because I didn't want people in a similar situation as me to go through what I'd been through and by talking about it enable me to give them the confidence mm. that it's okay to be who you want to be and and so long as you're positive about it, so long as you're positive about your actions, so long as you have that acceptance of who you are, then go for it and don't be ashamed of it. And, 
you'll shine. You'll absolutely shine. And I, I, I do a lot of talks as well. And one of the things that I say in my talks is always search for your rainbow, but you will never find a pot of gold at the end of it. Mm. You'll just find sackfuls of happiness. <laughs> and, I, and I found my rainbow and I got that happiness. I picked up that happiness in my hand and I've had it ever since. And as you quite rightly say, I, I've been rewarded for it. It was, I was absolutely blown away to, to be honoured with um, an OBE by Her Majesty the Queen. And I actually collect that in two weeks' time. Wow, I was going to say, have you, have you met the Queen yet? No, it, it won't be the Queen um, because of her age. It will more than uh, likely be Prince Charles or Princess Anne. Oh, well, but I go, up, I go up to Windsor Castle to get it, and I'm, I'm just so looking forward to it. I've, oh, I've actually you... had, I've had the honour for, for the best part of 14 months, but because of COVID, I've not been able to formally get it. So how, how did all this come about? Um, so, so, you know, Joanne kind of, you know, emerged um, at 58 years old and um, you, you then started working, as you say, with the Sussex Constabulary, I think you said. Um, yes. what, what did that look like? Was that the first step? And, and what, what was that? What is that work about? Well, that, that was pretty much the first step. I, I did actually um, work as a, or had a, a, a voluntary job as a what what we call a community first responder for the local ambulance service. Right. Um, and that was actually, I joined that before I transitioned. And then just as I was in the process of being accepted in that role, I told them that I was transitioning and I would now mm. be Joanne. Mm. And I was immediately welcomed in and offered. A, um, I was offered the role of diversity champion for the trust. And, and that was basically a point of contact for anybody in the trust who had problems that they wanted to talk about specifically regarding their identity. But I had to leave after 18 months due to a serious and life threatening medical condition which I still have. Um, and so there was a natural progression. I was asked initially to support Sussex police with one advisory group. Mm. Um, and that was for transgender. And as time went on, I got asked because I've been, I, I'm not afraid to criticize, but I criticize in a way that, isn't harsh mm. it's it's a when you when you criticize you criticize in such a way that they say oh yes well we haven't really thought about that perhaps we need to start doing it yeah and I was asked to go on um another uh, several more advisory groups and then for the crown prosecution service as well right yeah um and a lot of my work with Sus police is actually around hate crime now which is still very rife um to the lgbt community yeah um and 
everything sort of developed from there. And I was awarded in uh, 2020. I'd been nominated for uh, We Are The City, which is a London-based organisation that have awards every year celebrating um, women in industry. And I'd been nominated for the diversity category for these awards. Mm. And it was called the Top 100 Rising Stars. And I won it. Wow. At the online presentation, because of COVID, the the presentation was was done at a local police station by um, our chief constable, who presented the award to me on their behalf. And during the evening, she then presented me with a chief constable's commendation, which for somebody that actually works outside of the mm. police force rather than somebody that's employed by them is very, very rare. And I was blown away. That's and then, so of course, nice. we know we know what happened um, in 2021. I had, mm. had this brown envelope arrive in in the post and and i thought it was from the income tax office i didn't didn't open it for about a week (laughs) and then i did and and there it was that that i'd been um recommended by the government to her majesty the queen for um an honour of an officer of the Order of the British Empire for my services to transgender equality as a global LGBT advocate and independent advisor. And it's, I'm not joking, it has changed my life. In what, in what way? I mean, obviously, that that is an astounding accomplishment. I cannot imagine getting something like that through the post when you're not expecting it. Uh, it, 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 it has changed my life. It's changed. It's elevated. The thing is, it's elevated my profile considerably. Um, and I do I do sing about it. it it's it's overcoming imposter syndrome and the way to overcome imposter syndrome is to sing your praises and I do um I'm very humble about the OBE um it's still very surreal because I haven't been officially given it yet Mm. but it has opened doors for me and I'm an ambassador and consultant for four national and one international organizations now and i've done numerous podcasts uh, radio interviews i've done talks to different organizations about my life and and how diver- how diversity equality and inclusion can be effectively brought into the workplace and it's it's been overwhelming and of course i was offered this this role um of initially it was for uh, head of equality diversity and inclusion for believe globally cic mm. which is a new and very unique domestic abuse support foundation uh, that'll be starting later this year in the uk and then going globally 
Um, and last year, probably September or October, I was offered the position of director of global education and EDI for, for the same organization. And, th you know, these are things that, that David would never have dreamt of. David it's was a, you know, David was a, worked on a farm. When he finished working on a farm, he started gardening. But, all right, I'm still gardening now, but look at the success I've had. And it, it, it's truly amazing. And, and it's very difficult for me sometimes to almost accept how successful I've been. Yeah. Do, do you have to pinch yourself occasionally? Um, because it, that, it, it, it's such a unique and, uh, as, as you say, incredible journey um, that, that you've been on to this, to this point. Yes, I do have to pinch myself. I sometimes have to take myself down off the ceiling. Um, but, you know, I've really worked at it and I've been, since starting my transition, I've been absolutely passionate about raising awareness for the issues faced by the transgender, the LGBTQ plus community as a whole. And it's reaped his rewards. The reason I've, one of the things that, that I haven't mentioned is that I've also been a victim of domestic abuse myself um once when i was in my early 20s when i was working on the farm and secondly while i was married um and whilst you sort of never think about it when this role was offered to me i jumped at it yeah because we we talked a little bit about uh, male on male domestic abuse, um, and obviously fem even female on, on male domestic abuse, which are seen to be quite niche areas. But I'm sure in your work, you must have seen so many instances of, of this. Well, it, it, domestic abuse can happen to anybody. It's as, it's as simple as that. It's, it's not that the, the highlight is always on domestic abuse and violence to women and girls mm. but it happens to men it happens to children it happens to race ethnicity disability yeah it happens to lgbt people particularly during the pandemic and 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 the hardships they have coming out um or accepting their identities at home often results in abuse yeah and, so and important topic yeah it, yeah and and you know now you're really turning the tables and you're able to do something about it that must uh feel um like a almost like a full circle well it, it will be and and you know, we're launching later this year. We haven't actually launched yet, but we're launching later this year. But I've got other roles as well. I mentioned my ambassador roles. I'm on yeah. the advisory board um, of an organisation called the Global Equality Collective, which talks about uh, specifically for 
uh, diversity uh, in schools at home and the workplace. I'm involved with uh, a recruitment organisation that is totally committed to taking on uh, in organisations that are looking to recruit staff but have to commit to uh, being totally inclusive in their workforce. Mm. And, that's, and that's what it's all about. That's what I want to see. I want to see everywhere is totally inclusive. Everywhere is diversely accepting. Everywhere, everybody is treated as an equal. It's a basic human right. Yeah, yeah. I, I completely agree. And obviously, um, you know, with, with with the business that we've started, that that's very much our intention as well is, you know, everybody should have the opportunity to be themselves um, and not have to change that for the sake of, you know, going to work essentially. Um, mm. it, it's that, it's that openness. It's that equal opportunity as, as you say, and, mm. and what have you seen change? I mean, you know, in, in your, in your time as Joanne, even things have changed quite considerably. Um, what, what's your, what's your viewpoint on the situation now? Honestly, there's a lot to do. Mm. There is an awful lot to do. If we look around the world, um, the number of, of deaths, murders to transgender people, the number of countries that still have LGBT as the death penalty, mm-hmm. um, very tight restrictions on some members of society in the United States. Uh, we had a few years ago um transgender people were banned from serving in the armed forces that's since been revoked and they now can but but it's there's always i think for some time there's going to be a lot of hate for certain people in modern society and i'm not just talking about lgbt now i'm talking Mm. about any diverse group of people even even disability There can be a lot of discrimination against disabled people and a lot of discrimination to disabled people that are trying to work. You know, for goodness sake, an organisation needs to employ on ability, Mm -hmm. not who you are. It's not about who you are. It's about your ability to do a job. Absolutely. and organisations need to embrace that. And sadly, there's an awful lot that don't. Mm. So there's, oh, yeah. a considerable, <laughs> you know, there's a considerable amount of work to do. And I know this is one of the things that, that you're sort of very keen to do with your organisation as yeah. well, to get that message out. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and, and as you say, you know, you should be judged on your ability to do a job um, and to do it well. Um, and, and I think, you know, I, I always say I, I'm quite optimistic about the pandemic in, in certain respects, and that is one of them, that it, I think it has opened the doors for these conversations. Um, mm. It's opened flexibility in terms of employment where, you know, location and hours and that kind of thing, concerned remote working, which I mean, I, I don't know whether it specifically helps the LGBTQIA plus community, but it certainly helps those with disabilities um, and those from different socioeconomic backgrounds. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. 
and, and you know as you say if you can't bring you know if you can't bring your your true self to work and you can't be judged on your skills as opposed to your appearance um then really workplaces are, are massively missing out on those skills but this is where this is where we have to to educate about unconscious bias and microaggressions um unconscious bias um is is basically born out of fear for something that somebody doesn't actually see as normal and it goes up goes on a lot within the recruitment side of an organization um yeah. somebody's interviewed do they fit into my in group or out yeah. group yeah. do they play golf do they <laughs> you know do they support my my favorite football team if they don't then they're almost shown the door before they've even completed the first half of the interview and that's unconscious bias um a lot of people like to call it inclusive bias or inclusion bias um but we all have it but it can be controlled and it can be controlled by understanding um what um prejudices you have if you know those prejudices you can control them yeah absolutely uh, i couldn't agree more on that front and i mean joanne you you've been on this this in, incredibly intense journey um through through your life through david's life what's next i mean it feels like the sky's the limit for you um so so what, what do you have your sights on now <laughs> I, I to be honest i i i don't know i all all i want to be is happy and successful um i've got no i mean obviously i i want to make believe work believe yeah. foundation work i want to put a lot of energy into that but so long as i'm happy so long as i'm reasonably healthy um everything else is a little bit by the way um i couldn't I could never, ever, and I, I've said this already in, in this interview, I, I could never have dreamt of achieving the things that I've achieved, I've achieved as, as Joanne. And, and David, you know, it just wouldn't have happened. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it, well, it thank you. An incredible journey, as you quite it, rightly it, say. It really yeah. has, and it, it's honestly been such a privilege to to listen um, to everything um, that that you that you've been through and that David has been through to this point. And I wish you all the luck in the world for for the Belief Foundation um, and for your multiple roles in so many different areas. And I think you know all, all of those organizations are absolutely blessed to have you so thank you joanne um we've we've loved this this conversation and um i really hope we can keep in touch it would be lovely to keep in touch it's my been my absolute privilege to do this with you today and if any of your listeners just learn a little tiny bit about what life is like for some people in our community then my job is done Thank you. That is a, a wonderful note to leave on. Thank you, Joanne. Thanks very much. Thanks, Helen.
So that was Joanne and I don't know about you, but I was with her every step of the way during that conversation. Uh, you can really feel the heart that goes into everything um, that she's been through, that David's been through and, and that she's doing now. And um, I have to go now and put my children to bed. You could probably hear shouting and screaming at the end of that, uh, at the end of that conversation, but it's an absolute pleasure and a privilege to hear um, her story. And I hope you enjoyed it as well. Thank you for listening. Um, as you know, Diversity's podcast features global DNI allies, activists and advocates. And like I said at the start, we don't always get things right. Um, we might occasionally slip up in the way that we approach something or say something, but would love to hear your feedback, get a rating or a review on any of the channels that you might pick this up on. And for all things diversity related, head over to diversity.io. There's lots of blogs there and useful bits and pieces about how we help businesses to improve their diversity internally. And until the next time, I'll catch you soon.